0: Hey everybody, it's Lon Seib, and it's time once again for your weekly wrap-up, and this week we're going to take a look at a review that The Verge just did about Starlink and why I think they got a lot of it wrong. Let's get to it. Now, the article in question can be found on the link you see on screen here. It is authored by Nilay Patel, who's The Verge's editor-in-chief, and this is a product review but it's also an editorial on the state of affairs of the U.S. broadband industry. And if you've been following my woes over the years, you know how hard it is dealing with a monopoly when it comes to trying to improve service. They're never good for consumers. But Patel thinks that there is only really one solution that we should be looking at, which is running fiber to every corner of the country, like we did with electricity. And I think this bias towards a single solution is harming his objectivity of how he approached the review of Starlink, especially because his methodology for testing was really flawed. And we'll talk about that as we dive into the details here. I'm not against wiring up the entire country. I think it would be great if we could do it. But when I looked at running an ISP just in my general area here, the costs were unbelievably expensive to get even a small amount of fiber run. The cost of the fiber, all the regulatory issues you have to deal with, uh, getting customers connected and all the interconnection equipment you need for that. It is not a easy thing to do, and it's certainly not something that would allow a lot of companies to compete in the same space. And I can tell you, having experienced Starlink now in two states, here in Connecticut and in Vermont, uh, this is a viable alternative and can be part of the solution of getting broadband out to rural communities here in the U.S. And it also is costing significantly less for SpaceX to essentially wire up the globe than what it costs to do just one U.S. state with just backhaul fiber. Uh, Neilai Patel here on his Twitter the other day was talking about a plan in California to spend $7 billion just to get backhaul fiber out to every community in the state. That does not include what it costs to attach every customer to that network. And I don't know if they're uh, clear about whether or not that's going to be run by private providers or local governments. But either way, you can see the cost disparity here between the crown jewel, the fiber, uh, versus something that I think is an adequate alternative. And again, fiber is going to make sense in some places, but in many places it won't. And because satellite Internet is so much less expensive to get into orbit comparatively, I think it's highly probable that we'll have two or three or possibly more different providers making service available to residential customers in very rural communities. We've got OneWeb that's very aggressively getting satellites into orbit as we speak. Uh, Amazon has their project Kuiper. The cost of entry here is a lot less than running fiber. And I think there's a reason why we're seeing so much interest in the satellite space because it is affordable and has enough of a market that can provide some competition. All right, let's dive into what I think Patel got wrong here in this review. Now, he does correctly point out that you need a good line of sight to the northern sky for this to work, and things that get in the way of that line of sight, like trees, buildings, and other things, will obstruct the signal and result in a degradation of performance. And this is something that I spent some time doing out in my backyard, and also when I was up in Vermont getting my brother hooked up to the service. We were spending a lot of time with the Starlink app, and the first thing that happens when you boot that app up is that it asks you to check for obstructions to make sure the sky is clear. Now, in fairness, Starlink requires a much wider swath of sky to be clear than what you would need with a geosynchronous satellite service for television or Internet, Uh, So those geosynchronous services have a satellite in a much higher orbit. It is geosynchronous in that it is moving at the same rate the Earth is rotating, so you only need to be pointed at the same spot in the sky for that tight beam uh, to get focused into your dish. In the case of Starlink, the satellites are always moving overhead, and your dish is going to be switching from one satellite to the other as they pass by. And that can be a big issue if you have obstructions on the left and right-hand side of the dish because right now, due to the fact that they don't have all that many satellites in orbit, one is going to be passing over to the right side of the dish, and another one is coming into view on the left side, and that's where obstructions can become an issue. Now, what Patel did is he set his dish up 60 feet away from his house with what he says are clear views of the sky, but it's still obstructed for two hours a day because of the top of his house and the trees behind it, and he posted a video of his Starlink app that he was using to figure out what his obstructions look like. And there are the trees, and you can see that's where the house is. And then he's got some more trees there on the right-hand side. That apparently was the best spot he could find. And what a lot of people are finding fault with here is the fact that he didn't install the dish properly because that house and all those trees are in the way. Now, if you look at the image here, had he placed the dish on the roof, which would have gotten him the best view of the sky in his yard, this would have been a very different story. He would not have had two hours of downtime due to obstructions being in the way. And I'll show you what my experience is not far from where Mr. Patel lives. Uh, So, you know, I don't know if it's laziness or if it just didn't back up his claim that fiber is always going to be better, but had he taken the effort to put the dish up there, it would have been a different story. And if he didn't want to put the dish up himself, his parent company, Vox Media, makes $100 million a year They could clearly pay somebody a couple hundred bucks to do it for them. I was about ready to do that if I didn't have a good spot in my yard because I wasn't going to review this product if I was not able to install it properly. And there is not an internet service on the planet that is a plug and play kind of endeavor. For the most part, if you're using a residential internet connection, somebody has to install something. It took Comcast seven or eight people to get the fiber optic cable into my house and other services also require some degree of installation for it to work in a home. But what really got me in his article was this statement where he says, it feels like we should all be more honest about what this thing can do. Like somehow everyone else who's talking about this is being dishonest. Now I know he wasn't focused on me, the lowly little YouTube guy, uh, but I kind of took offense to to this statement because I think a lot of people have been very accurately reporting the good and the bad with Starlink myself included so let's look at what an honest review of the product looks like i got my dish in last week uh, put it out in the yard during a live stream so you could all see the good and the bad in real time as it unfolded Uh, this is the view of the sky that i have in my backyard as you can see i found a spot that was clear of obstructions and it was a perfect spot and it seemed to work very very well because we had a full clean view of the sky But I was prepared to go on the roof or pay somebody to do it if I had to. Luckily, I did not have to go that route. And if you look at the last 24 hours sitting out there in the backyard, I only had seven seconds of obstructions reported. I had 34 seconds of no satellites being in view and then about three minutes of beta downtime due to work that SpaceX was doing on the network. Now, if you don't believe me, here's a friend of mine in town who also got Starlink, and he actually has more obstructions. In fact, his view here almost looks similar to Mr. Patel's minus the house in the way. He's got some trees there on the right-hand side, which could represent some issues as satellites are going out of view. He's got a tree and a flag there on the other side, some trees behind him as well. Uh, And he did not see what Mr. Patel got because although he was obstructed, he did not have a house kind of sitting in the way of his connection. And if we take a look at my friend Stephen's report here, again, around the corner from me, he was obstructed for four minutes, a little bit more than me because he has more things in the way. No satellites for 42 seconds and about the same level of beta downtime. So let's take a look at another Starlink installation I have access to, my brother's up in Northern Vermont. Uh, This video was taken in February, not now. It's looking a lot nicer up there at this point. Now, my brother did have to mount his dish on the roof to get the best view of the sky. But as you can see here over the last 12 hours, this is now his primary internet connection and it was out for maybe two minutes over that span of time. And he says the outages have become fewer and fewer as more satellites get into view. And for my brother, Starlink was a game changer. He lives in rural Vermont. You're not going to run a fiber optic cable to his house anytime soon. And if you are, you're putting it up on a pole that's prone to damage from storms and everything else. It was never going to happen. Here he's got something that we were able to get up and running for him uh, within the course of an afternoon. He spent a little bit more time getting it Roof mounted, but it's been great for him and his business. And he was sick of waiting. And I think this is exactly the target market for this service, not somebody like me or Mr. Patel who has an internet connection at their house already. I got mine, as I mentioned, as a backup to my existing connection, given that I live in an area where trees fall and take down telephone poles, and I'm out for a week or more. Now, beyond just the installation problems, I don't even know what his testing methodology was to complain about all of the Zoom outages and other flakiness that he was experiencing with it, uh, because he never actually hooked up something else to the Dish's Ethernet. And I don't know how he was actually connecting to the service either. It looks like he was using the included Wi-Fi router. Uh, I don't know if he was actually running this through his home network or not, or if he was relying on Uh, it's Wi-Fi or using Ethernet, but whatever he was doing, it just did not line up with what my experience has been with this. In fact, I had my kids on the dish all weekend with the router outside, and they had no idea they were using Starlink versus our usual Internet connection for the stuff that they usually do. So everything about this review, I think, was tilted towards an opinion that fiber optic is the only way to solve these broadband problems. And I think if he had taken the time to actually put the dish on the roof, Uh, his opinion might be a little bit different. And at the end of the article here, Mr. Patel asserts that all of this satellite stuff is unnecessary and only exists because of the lumbering BS of monopolistic regulatory capture that defines the uh, US telecom industry. And yes, the US telecom industry is controlled by monopolies. We talk about this all the time. And every time that we have run wires somewhere, a monopoly ends up running the service. Pick your flavor, power, TV, phone, internet, all monopoly-driven because of the cost of running those cables out to those locations in the first place, many times covered by taxpayers, and secondarily, running the service and maintaining it. If there's not a lot of people, there's not enough to have a competitive market, and that's why there are so many monopolies. Meanwhile, with these satellite services, we're seeing that SpaceX can essentially wire up the globe maybe for $10 billion. That's what they estimated the cost to be for the first leg of their service. And if you look at what just backhaul fiber in California costs, it's $7 billion. And guess what? That satellite market might actually be more competitive in some places. Yes, if you're in a densely populated area, you could probably have multiple fiber providers competing there but in places where you have less density, it's a lot harder for wireline to be competitive. Where I live in Connecticut, they've tried everything, including the facility-based competition. None of it worked. There were not enough customers to justify the expense of maintaining the infrastructure. And I think that's where satellite is going to play a part. It's not the solution, but it's part of the solution in places where, like my brother lives, where there's just not a lot of customers per mile and there actually can be a competitive market for him because you might have two or three satellite providers up in orbit that he can choose from in a couple of years. And I think that's ultimately what this will be looking like as the broadband discussion continues here in this country and throughout the world. There's going to be a tapestry of solutions, not a single one. Now, it's also important to note who owns Vox Media, uh, which is the publisher of The Verge, And guess who has a significant stake in that company? NBC Universal, owned by Comcast. They are the lead investor. They have a $200 million equity investment that was made a few years ago. There was also an earlier round of investment from Comcast Ventures. So the monopoly here has a significant stake uh, in The Verge. And I think part of that ownership kind of dictates the culture of the place. And yes, he's railing against monopolies that Comcast is, but the solution that he's proposing is to create more monopolies or make the current ones stronger. And I think that's clouding his judgment here. And clearly he did not give Starlink a fair shake based on where he set up the dish. Now, while I don't have a $200 million equity investment to talk about, I do have the support of all of you. And this week, we have a couple of Super Chatters to thank. As Death Stalks Us, Thomas Anfang and Grayson Petty, who all contributed during our recent live stream. I also want to thank our newest supporters here on the channel, John Kelly and Paul Outlaw, uh, both made contributions via the YouTube membership program. If you want to support the channel, you can. You can go to lon.tv support and make a monthly or a one-time contribution We have my own thing on DonorBox, which is where that link will send you, but we also support Patreon, Floatplane, and the YouTube membership program. You can find me in other places, including my Extras channel, where we did our uh, little live stream from the Satellite Dish. And we also have a pretty big presence now on Amazon at lon.tv slash Amazon Shop. You can subscribe to my email, so the next time we've got one of these big streams coming up, you can get notified of that. We don't email you all too often there. Uh, we are in the process of setting up the Discord. I'll get some info on that to you a little later this week or early next week. And we also have my store at lon.tv store where we sell previously used items that we reviewed here on the channel. And if you want to get alerted every time I update the store, you can go to lon.tv store alert to get notified when new items are added. And that is going to do it for this week's weekly wrap-up. Thank you all for your continued support. I enjoyed seeing so many of you on the live stream we did the other day setting up the dish. It was a fun experiment to be out in the backyard bringing all my equipment there to live stream from a somewhat remote location. And we'll be doing, of course, more live streams throughout this week and the weeks to come as well. So set those notifications. That's going to do it for now. Until next time, this is Lon Seidman. Thanks for watching. This channel is brought to you by the Lon.TV supporters, including Gold Level supporters Chris Allegretta, Tom Albrecht, Jim Callagher, Hot Sauce and Video Games, and Brian Parker. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. Head over to TV slash support to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lon.tv slash s.